Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Well, it's definitely great to be here. Um, Actually, we have known uh, Harry and Fran for probably almost 40 years. That long. That long. It's amazing because we're only, each of us, I think we're on about 43 now, right? I'm going to be having my 44th birthday. And, no. Um, but it is great to be with you and, uh, and to bring the message from God's word. So, um, so let's go to our great God and pray before we get into his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have the opportunity to have your word, your word which speaks of you. And Lord, today's message is about you. What greater topic could there be? Help us, Lord, to understand and appreciate your worth, that we would worship only you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. How many remember the, uh, the movie, um, The Ten Commandments? Right? Remember Pharaoh went after Moses and uh, Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. Um, when Pharaoh returns home, he's talking to his wife about Moses. And remember he said, his God is God. Pharaoh got it right. The God of Moses is the one true God. You see, our God is God. But here's the problem. Many people today don't believe that. In fact, many people who even call themselves Christians don't believe that. Years ago, Todd Friel was outside at the Minnesota State Fair, and he was talking to a large crowd of onlookers. And there was this young woman who claimed to be a Christian. And he asked her, is, is Christ the only way to heaven? And she said, well, for me, yes. And Todd said, no, 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 for everyone. And she said, no, for me. Todd Field then told her, anyone who believes that Jesus is a way and not the way is not a Christian. If you think that way, then you've made a graven image of your mind to suit yourself. In essence, Todd Field told her that she had made for herself an idol. Her God is a false God, a God that she made in her image, not the one true God. And she did what people do. She replaced the truth of the one true God with a God compatible with her lifestyle. And this is what we, we read in Romans chapter 1. It was just read. In Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 21, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, they replaced the truth of God with their own version of the truth of God. 
And that's what we read in Isaiah chapter 44, which was just read a few moments ago. And that passage tells us about people who actually take a piece of wood and then carved it into an image, called it God, and then prayed to it to deliver them. The same wood that they used to cook and to make a fire, they made into a God. And then they fell down and worshipped it. Now, I know, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. We don't do that today. I mean, our society doesn't do that. But we do. For example, we've made science our God. Education our God. We've made medicine our God. Technology our God. We look to these things to deliver us. To deliver us from all kinds of social ills that plague society today. Like murder, rape, drunkenness, drug addictions, etc. And society, by the way, after all, sees drunkenness as what? Alcoholism, a disease. Uh, many murderers as mentally ill. And many see these as chemical processes in the brain that have gone awry. And society looks then to science and to medicine to deliver people from these things that society calls social ills. Well, you see today's passage deals with idols versus the one true God. And by the way, idol is spelt I-D-O-L, as opposed to I-D-L-E. And so that no one here sits idle as we talk about idols, I'd like to tell you about a couple. After church on Sunday, uh, a young couple climbed into their classy sports car, and they began to drive home. And so uh, the husband said to the wife, so what do you think about the pastor's message? And uh, she said, well... It was interesting, but I don't think it really applied to, oh, 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 turn up the radio. I love that song. Yeah, don't you love this car's sound system? I paid an arm and a leg for this car, but it's worth it. And she suddenly said, oh, I just thought of something. Could we stop by my work? I need to get some reports to work on this afternoon. Working again, he said. Man, you never rest, do you? Well, she said, I assume you want to keep paying for this car, right? Um, and besides, you work as much as I do. He said, oh, not today. Not today. Today's football season is starting, and I'm going to be couched on that seat in my that sofa all afternoon. She said, oh, yeah, she said, I forgot. And then as her favorite song ended, so what do you think of the pastor's message? And he said, well, it was all right, I guess, but I wish he had made it more relevant. See, I don't see how what idol worship has to do with us today. And with that, let me simply say, today's passage is really applicable to all of us in our society today. Our idols may be more sophisticated, but they're idols. And they're worshipped by lots of people. So open your Bibles to Isaiah 44, verse 6. And we're going to be going through the passage that we have just read. And the first point I want us to get out of this in the verses 6 to 8 is that there's only one true God. And he is God. 
only one true God, and he is God. In verse 6, we read, Thus says the Lord, the king of Israel. He's the king of kings, isn't he? Not just of Israel, he's the king of kings. He's the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do and then let him declare it and set it in order for me? Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. And by the way, he's talking about prophecy here, telling the future. And that's God's calling card. You want to know who God is? He tells the future before it happens. So he then says here, let them show these to them. Verse 8, do not fear, do not be afraid. Well, why? Because there are no gods who can interfere with God's rule. So he says, do not fear, do not be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Now you want to know who God is? Look at verse 6. First of all, he's the king. He's the king. He rules over us. And therefore, he governs and he takes care of his subjects. He meets the needs of his people. He's also, secondly, the redeemer. He saves people from all the enslavements of this life. He's the one who breaks the power of sin for all those who come to him as savior. He breaks the power of sin that our society calls social ills. Thirdly, we read he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord Almighty. He's the supreme power in this universe which he created. He controls all the heavenly hosts. He controls all the creatures here on earth or in the heavens. And therefore, all who come to him, the one true God, can rest assured that he can help them when their needs arise. Why? Because he has the power. He's in total control of everything in this universe. And the fourth thing we read about our great God, he's the first and the last. He's the eternal being. He's first. He existed before this universe existed. The universe that he created, well, he's the one who did it. He was there before. And he's the last. He's the last existing even when the history of this present universe ends. He's been on the scene since the beginning. He'll be there at the end. Even when this universe goes up in smoke, just like the scriptures say, all the elements will melt with fervent heat. And then he says, besides me, there is no God. The Lord alone is God. Buddha is not God. Allah is not God. Science is not God. Any God you or I may come up with in our mind is not God. By definition, you can't have two gods. You can't. And even the God of that lady in my opening is not God. Even though she referred to Jesus as her savior. For the God of the Bible is alone the Redeemer. In verse 7, God is uh, calling the people and their gods to a trial. God challenges them to prophesy, to proclaim the future, just as he has done. But unlike the false gods, God has foretold 
lots and lots of things. He foretold the, the, uh, of the nation of Israel, the history of the, Israel. He foretold um, the building of the nation from, from Abraham. Um, he also predicted event after event in that nation's history. He predicted the Babylonian captivity. And then he uh, predicted their release by uh, the Persians under Cyrus. In fact, he even named Cyrus in verse 28 of this chapter. He names him 100 years before Cyrus is even born. And he names him by name. No one is like our God. He alone is omniscient. He knows all things. And therefore, he's able to tell the future. And therefore, you and I who are believers, we can be assured of his help when we ask him because nothing takes him by surprise. He knows it all. Past, present, future, he knows it all. Nothing takes him by surprise. I want you to listen to a great verse, uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Obviously, no one. Who is like you, glorious in holiness? No one. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. You know that word, the, that phrase, fearful in, phrase, uh, in, um, fearful in praises, is a very interesting phrase. God acted in a way that's awesome and fearful, and that's what's generating praise. You see, when Moses and the people of Israel, um, when they saw the way that Pharaoh's army was defeated, it provoked fear in Moses and the people. But it also provoked praise because he had just destroyed their enemy. And that takes us to verse 8. He says, do not fear nor be afraid. See, if these claims about God are true, and they are, then there's no ground for being afraid. Ever. No need to be afraid of COVID-19 or all the variants that we're now hearing about. No need to be afraid if I lose my job. No need. It doesn't matter. No need to be afraid. Assuming, of course, you know God and you're right with him. If you don't know God, Jonathan Edwards said, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. But for believers, Romans 8.31 says, if God is with you, who can be against you? Listen, Israel was witness to the fact that God's claims were true. When God is our rock and we're trusting him, we have nothing to fear. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And I want you to note, indeed, there is no other God. It's Christ alone. Even though people are trying to find another one, he is the rock. God is the rock, and all of the ground is what? Sinking sand. But not everyone places their trust in the rock. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 17, 18, and then in verse 31, we read, They sacrificed to demons, not to God. 
to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that the fathers did not fear. Of the God who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. For their God is not like our rock. You see, their rock is the ideas of man. The ideas of man. They've elevated their ideas in place of God. And so verses 6 to 8 really declare that there's only one true God. Only one, and he's God. But many people, you know, just like Israel back in that time, they've forgotten the God who has created them. And that takes us to our second point. And that is, in place of the one true God, in place of the one true God, man makes a God that he wants. Verses 9 to 20. Man makes a God in his own image. Makes a God like him. You know, with the same frailties and limitations. I want you to look at verse 9. He says, those who make, those who make an image... All of them are useless. Did you see that? Those who make the image, all of those who make it are useless. In other words, if the idol maker is useless, then imagine how useless what he makes is. <laughs> and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They're not witnessing of God, but rather to themselves. For God is in their image, according to their own imagination. Then he says, they, the idol makers, they neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Verse 10. For who would, who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? I think on that. Well, only a fool, obviously. Surely all his companions would be ashamed. Ashamed that the idol didn't help them. You know, I mean, the idol is not the rock, the true rock. They'll be ashamed together. Not everyone makes their own idol, by the way. Some have people make idols for them. But they're all going to be ashamed in the end. They're going to be ashamed when they face the one true God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Romans chapter 10, verse 11 says, Whoever believes on him shall never be put to shame. You'll not be put to shame Ever, if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our true God. It reminds me of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 24, when Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal. Remember that? Verse 24, then um, Elijah is speaking. He says, then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. What was the result? Well, Elijah trusted in the Lord. He wasn't ashamed in the end. Why? Baal didn't answer, but God responded. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burned sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And they licked up the water that was in the trench. Fire from God just consumed it all. Baal was sleeping at the time. Verse 12. The blacksmith with the tongues works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. 
He drinks no water and he's faint. I mean, he's putting all his effort into making this idol. Verse 13, the craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass. In other words, cut here, chisel off this. And he makes it according to the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. You know what God's word is saying here? The idol can't fend for itself. In fact, you've got to put it in the home and you have to take care of the idol that you've made. Verse 14. He cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. I mean, this is crazy. He, he burns half of it in the fire, and with this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied and warms himself and says, I'm warm, I have seen the fire. And then the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image. He falls down before it and worships it. Prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. This is crazy. This is laughable. And yet they don't see it. Look at verse 18. They do not know nor understand. For he, God, has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 2. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and God let them do it. They can't even see how ridiculous this is. Verse 19. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I've also baked bread on its coals. I've roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Verse 20. He feeds on ashes. Could you imagine eating ashes? Ugh. In other words, he's saying his soul is starved. Spiritually, he's starved. Look what he says. A deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? He can't even see that he's holding on to this delusion. He can't see it. Listen, man makes God in his own image. Like him, with the same frailties, with the same limitations. He creates a God who... who who understands that he makes mistakes and yet won't hold him accountable. Just think of how hard it was for the prophet Isaiah uh, to try to put down idolatry in his land. I mean, idolatry was everywhere. Almost everyone practiced idolatry back then. Even the, the people and the nations who were the most successful and powerful, they had worshipped idols. But you know, it's just as hard today. And it's just as needed today. You know, Todd Friel was heckled. He was heckled declaring that the one true God saw man as bad, saw man as sinners, sinners to the core. And he was heckled for that. 
By the way, that doesn't go over well in society, going up to people. Oh, by the way, you're a sinner to the core. Doesn't go well, does it? But it's true, we're born sinners, aren't we? Right? Just like back in the days of Isaiah, the people are holding on to a delusion. Who's going to share it with them? Who's going to share the truth with them? You know, a young lady had come up to Todd Friel at the Minnesota State Fair. and When asked whether uh, she was a Christian, she said, I don't know. She then brought up the fact that in Nepal, they have Hinduism and they have Buddhism. And um, she said in view of, um, their view of God is pluralistic. In other words, they have many gods. They grew up in a culture where uh, their view of God is, is so different. So how can you stand here, Todd, and say to people that your truth is their truth? How can you do that? Therefore, you are completely blinded, she said to him, to other forms of worship. And Todd simply said what Jesus said about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And then he told her that all those religions are wrong. To which he walked away. He then addressed the group that were watching. And he asked, do you think I'm wrong? Most everybody said, yeah, you're wrong. And Todd then asked, am I wrong for saying that you're wrong? And they said, yeah, you're wrong. And Todd said, that's not fair. You say I'm wrong, and I can't say that you're wrong. Well, the young lady had come back, and Todd says to her, I believe that the God of the universe is Elvis Presley. And I believe that if you, right before you die, you sing, I ain't nothing but a hound dog, and you sing it three times, then you're going to spend eternity in Graceland. And you're going to be there with Elvis in a Kentucky room, and, and you'll be eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches to all eternity. That's what I believe, he said. Am I wrong? And she said, I don't know. What? You, am I wrong? And she said, well, if it's true for you, then it's true. And Ty responded, no, it's not. The intensity of my belief doesn't mean anything. It's the object of my belief that's everything. The intensity of my faith doesn't mean a thing. It's the object of my faith. If the object of my faith is a carved piece of wood, then it's a worthless carved piece of wood. To which the young lady responded. And she said, but I can't believe in a God that would send my 11-year-old friend to hell because she grew up in a Hindu country. And Todd then told her, well then go tell your friend that there's only one God and there's only one way to heaven and then that's through Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our third and final point. And that is our God is the only God who can deliver and is worthy of praise. 
He is the only God who can deliver us, and he's the only one who is worthy of praise. Look at verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. As a nation, he will not forget the nation of Israel. Verse 22. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. What's God saying? He's saying, turn from your idols and come to me. Don't worship things, trusting them as your God. Come to me, your redeemer. And again, he says, return to me, for I have redeemed you. But that raises some questions. When did God redeem them? Why did God redeem them? I mean, what's redemption mean anyway? Well, let's answer the last question first. To be redeemed means to be bought at a price, to be delivered, delivered from sin and its consequences. Second question, when? When did God deliver Israel from sin? And this is, we're talking about before Christ had been born. Jesus hadn't yet come to earth. He hadn't yet died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He hadn't yet risen from the dead. But in God's mind, it was done. Scripture says Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God had decided in eternity past that the second person of the triune Godhead would become a man and die for the sins of the world. And therefore, when Israel, as a nation, sinned against God and they experienced the curses that Moses said that they would experience, when they repented, God could forgive them. And then he could deliver them from bondage. And it was all based on Christ's future payment for sin. You know, biblical history shows us that God has done this several times. He's delivered Israel from their enemies uh, back in the days of the judges. Remember that? Or um, he's delivered them from Egypt. Delivered from the Assyrian captivities, delivered them from the Babylonian captivity. And Romans chapter 3, 25 and 26 speaks to this. It says, whom Jesus Christ, referring to Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation means what? God's wrath is satisfied against sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, his dying for us. So he says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, listen to this, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Third question, why? Why did God redeem Israel? It's because God is a loving God and he keeps his promises. And he's a God who desires to show mercy. He desires to live... To, deliver people from the, the consequences of sin. Israel had experienced the truth of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. The way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard. Whenever they rebelled, whenever they rebelled and turned from God, they experienced hardship and turmoil. 
And just as Israel was bound by its sins, which caused all kinds of hardship and all kinds of grief, when they turned to God and they repented, he delivered them. And so too with us. You know, whenever we turn from God to our idols, to our sinful ways, we experience the bondage and the troubles that are caused by our own sins. Troubles and hardships like financial burdens or relational upheavals or sickness or the death of loved ones or depression or anxiety or feelings of helplessness. You know, like, like life is empty. But God is there to deliver us. He's there to deliver us. He's there to heal the brokenhearted. He's there to restore relationships, to set you free from the slavery to sin, to set you free from anxiety and depression, to give you comfort in the midst of the trials that happen in this life. He's there to help you stand when you want to run. God is there to give you purpose and meaning in life and restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Listen, our God is the one true God. The God who saves and delivers, there's no other savior. And therefore, verse 23 says, sing, sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Bring, break forth into singing, you mountains. O forest, every tree in it. And why should we be singing? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Don't miss that. He glorified himself in Israel. Why does God save people? Why does God deliver people from sin? It's to glorify himself. It manifests his love, his power, his wisdom, his righteousness. And we should be singing praises to our great God for the salvation that we have. And telling others of the salvation that he offers to them. Telling others of our great God who's procured our salvation. And he demonstrated his righteousness in the way that he saves us. And was able to overlook our former sins before we get saved. Righteous God, you sinned, you're out of here. But God decided Christ would die for the sins of the world. And therefore, he could look over, overlook those sins that we committed till we come to saving faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3, I mentioned verse 25. Let me add to that verse 26. Verse 25, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Verse 26, to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just. He's just because Christ paid the penalty for sin. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just and justifier. What's that mean? The penalty for sin has been paid for. Christ paid the penalty for the sins of the world. Done deal. But why then? Do most people spend eternity in hell? Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Why did he say that? If the sins are paid for, it's because people are not righteous. 
What produces all the sins? We're born with a sin nature. That produces the sins. I mean, you take a little kid. I, have, I had kids and grandkids, and one of the opening words is either mom, dad, or no. I mean, you don't teach them that. That's the sin nature. And it's that nature that needs to be changed. And what did Jesus do? He not only died for the sins of the world. He said, if you'll come to me, I'll give you a new nature. Romans speaks to the fact that we can receive the gift of righteousness. Jesus is willing to give us his righteousness in place of our sins. And that's what gets us to heaven. So here's the question. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And him alone to save you. That salvation occurs in a moment in time when you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And you call on him to make you righteous. Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize now that I'm condemned. Lord, save me. I'm trusting you to save me and make me righteous. Come into my life and save me. At that moment, God begins a work that he will complete. He declares you righteous. He begins to make you righteous. And one day, when we see him, we will be glorified. We will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Redeemer, he's the one true God. Worshipping anyone or anything other than the one true God is worshipping an idol. And God told Israel this. In the first two commandments found in Exodus 20. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth below. Or that is in the water or under the earth. And yet, our society makes a God who would never judge. It's very tolerant, overlooks sin, is a God who accepts everyone regardless, never points a con convicting finger. God's word goes on. He says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now listen to this. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Wow. Showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. That sounds great. But the problem is that for many people today, they don't believe the Bible is God's word. They don't believe in absolute truth. They pick and choose what they obey. You've heard that the Bible is written by men, right? That's what people will say. So they pick and choose what they want to believe and what they want to obey. They have a man-made religion. They have become their own God. We live in a postmodern culture. Postmodernism is whatever you believe is truth. Well, today the world has redefined truth. If you believe something strong enough, well, then that's true for you. Your truth, what you believe, is equal to my truth, what I believe. In other words, they believe there's no absolute truth. And all of you who are believers, I want you to listen up. Put all the religions of the world here on my left. And put Jesus Christ alone on the right. Never mix him 
with any of that. And you and I will never do that if we don't have any idols. If we don't put anything above our Lord. When we commit idolatry, when we put ourselves or our family or our loved ones before the Lord, even uh, possible to put your work, your recreation, your, your food, pleasure, comforts before the Lord. If you focus on anything other than God, we're putting God second. But God demands to be first. Why? Because he loves us. And everything good comes from him. So he wants us to focus on him, not on this other stuff. Focus on him. All good things come from him. You and I should be focused on him. I'm going to give you, an, in closing, an, an, an acronym for IDOL. I-D-O-L. I stands for industrious. You know, I do everything my way. You remember that song? I did it my way? Well, I do it my way. I make my own decisions and I don't care what anyone else says. I. The D stands for deeds. The deeds that I want to do. The deeds that I think are good, those are the ones I'll do. But God says, otherwise, that doesn't matter. Lie, at times, that's okay. Sexual immorality, adultery, gossiping, no problem. The O stands for opulence. That talks to money. How many people have money as their God? And L stands for leisure. Vowing your leisure and your entertainment above God. We can make all kinds of gods, but there's only one true God. And he's the one who told Moses, I am who I am, the self-existent one. And so you and I can either bow down to the one true God, the eternal God, or we can bow down to idols of this world. And we can make all kinds of idols and then just try to cram Jesus into our thoughts. Like that young couple did at the beginning. Not realizing it. They were replacing God with these idols. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Making idols is crazy. When we go after idols, when we could be going and focusing on the one who redeemed us, the one who's perfect. One day, everybody's going to stand before the one true God. Everybody. And everyone is going to bow before them. But here's the question. Right now, who is your God? Who do you trust in? Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of Elijah, the one true God who delivers. Lord, we praise you that we will never be ashamed of putting our trust in you. For you are faithful and righteous. You are loving and all-powerful. You are the one who is in total control. You're the king, our redeemer. Lord, help us that we never put anything before you. Not putting money or sex or power or fame before you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.